0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us are here at Central Campus, as well as those watching from our campus in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to say hello to our online viewers as well. This past week was a special one for our family. My wife and I became Canadian citizens on Friday. We are absolutely grateful to God for bringing us to Canada. What a blessing and privilege to live in a great country like this and call this our own. Well, we were not the only ones who became citizens on Friday, but there were 93 other people from 24 different countries who were part of this uh, wonderful citizenship ceremony. Do you know that Calgary is home to more than 240 different ethnic groups? And we are currently the fourth largest city in Canada with the highest immigrant population next to Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal. And by 2020, Calgary's total immigrant population is estimated to reach almost half a million. I'm fully convinced that a multi-ethnic church is best suited to reach a multi-ethnic city. Being a multi-ethnic church is not about being trendy or cool or being politically correct. I am talking about multi-ethnicity for the sake of the gospel. And so that is why we celebrate what God has done here at Center Street Church, for he has brought people from various different backgrounds and cultures into our church family and turned us into a multi-ethnic church. We did not create this, neither did it happen accidentally. It is a spectacular work of God in our midst for which he alone deserves all the praise. We as a congregation in all of our campuses display and not just ethnic diversity but we are diverse socially and generationally as well. But we worship together as one body and love and serve one another. This is biblical Christianity. Now if you live in the rural part of Saskatchewan or somewhere in outer space where there is a little ethnic diversity, it is impossible to have a multi-ethnic church. Ethnic diversity doesn't apply to you. But hear me, if you live in a diverse city, but go to a church where everyone looks like you, talks like you, is of the same age or economic standards like you, how can you be effective in bringing the gospel to the various people groups in our city? Has Jesus not given to us the great commission to make disciples of the nations? By the way, when Jesus uses the word nations, he's not referring to political countries, but the Greek word for nations is ethnos, from which we get our word ethnicity. Jesus wants us to make disciples of all ethnicities, and they are all around us. Years ago, Bishop Leslie Newbegin wrote, the local church is the hermeneutic of the gospel. What he means is, if you wanna know more about the gospel of Jesus, look at the local church. A believing community reflects the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the world. When a person walks into a church community where everyone is alike, they have a skewed understanding of the gospel. For God so loved this people group that he gave his one and only son. But when someone walks into a church and finds a wide variety of diversity in the congregation at all levels, ethnically, generationally, and socially, they understand God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And as I read the New Testament, I'm more and more convinced that Jesus envisioned a multi-ethnic church, and so did the Apostle Paul. So let's pick up where I left last weekend and today we're going to continue in the book of Ephesians. I'm going to ask us to stand right now as we read our text from Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 to 13. For this reason I Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Lord, what an assurance it is to know that we can come before your presence with freedom and confidence because we understand the mystery of the gospel of Christ. This mystery that even angels longed to look into has been made plain to us. We pray as we look into the the word today that you will open our hearts and our minds to understand the truth that is in here. That Lord, once again, you will affirm our diversity and our unity as a congregation. That Lord, uh, we will know that we belong to one body in Christ. So come and minister to us in the power of your spirit. We ask this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. When you get to know the Apostle Paul through his writings, you will either love him and believe in his words and be convicted by his passion, or you will hate him and reject him completely as a deluded man. Some of the feminists of our time hate Paul, for they claim he promoted negative views of women. Muslims hate Paul for hijacking Christianity and taking it in a different direction than where Jesus intended. Thomas Jefferson argued that uh, Paul was the first corruptor of the doctrine of Jesus. On the other hand, there are many admirers of the Apostle Paul, including me, people who believe that his conversion was one of the greatest providential acts of God in history. For the writings of the Apostle Paul lay out the tenets of the Christian faith, and he's one of the significant figures behind Western civilization. N.T. Wright, who's the foremost Christian scholar on the life of Paul, says, Paul is the greatest interpreter of the mind of Jesus ever to live. No one knows the heart and mind of Jesus better than the Apostle Paul. Paul was once a passionate Pharisee, strong and zealous in his Jewish convictions, far ahead of all of his contemporaries. Yet the incredible turning point in his life came when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, and that encounter would forever change the trajectory of Paul's life. For the persecutor became the preacher of the very truth he wanted to discredit. The zeal to destroy the church was now channeled to build the church. The man who prayed as a Pharisee every morning, thank you God for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That same man was now arguing that the very people he used to despise are now part of God's kingdom and we are all one in Christ. The man who looked down on Gentiles and considered them less than dogs will now become the apostle to the Gentiles and the foremost proponent of ethnic harmony in the church. Why do you think Paul suffered so much all through his ministry? Why was he the object of such intense persecutions? You may say because he preached the gospel, but that is not entirely true. It's not just because Paul preached Jesus was the Messiah, but the fact that Paul argued for the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's family was the primary reason he was persecuted. Let me give you an example here. When Paul visited Jerusalem for the final time in his life, he was arrested. The account in Acts chapter 21 talks about the, the details surrounding this when the seven days were nearly over some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple they stirred up the whole crowd and seized him shouting fellow Israelites help us this is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place and besides he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So this account tells us that Paul is being falsely accused of bringing Trophimus, uh, the Gentile who was from Ephesus, inside the Jewish temple court, a place that was forbidden for the non-Jews to enter. And when Paul addressed that crowd to give an explanation, They listened to him as he spoke of his former life as a Pharisee, his encounter with Jesus and the dynamic change that took place in his life. They heard everything Paul said without interrupting him. But as soon as he mentioned that God had called him to preach to the Gentiles, look at their response. In Acts 22, verses 21 and 22, it says, And the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Paul was primarily persecuted by religious Jews because of his ministry to the Gentiles. If Paul had stated that the Gentiles are beneath the Jews, He could have bypassed most of the persecutions. But Paul considered himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus with no rights of his own. And he knew that God had entrusted this gospel message to him. It was a sacred trust. And in the section of scripture that we read in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul speaks about the mystery of the gospel that was revealed to him. Now, the Bible doesn't use the word mystery in the same sense as we would use the word mystery today. So the biblical word mystery is not equivalent to a Sherlock Holmes novel. A mystery in the Bible is not something you crack or a puzzle that you solve. It is made known only through God's revelation. Paul claims here in our passage that this mystery was hidden all through the ages for generations but now has been revealed to him. So what is this mystery Paul is speaking about? It is stated very clearly in our text in verse six, what this mystery that Paul is referring to. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and share us together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now this is an important verse, so let's uh, break this down and look at it in parts. The word together occurs three times in verse six. So as we unpack this content of God's mystery, we see that uh, this wide rift or chasm that existed between the Jews and Gentiles is now being bridged and they have been brought together. And the term Gentile refers to everyone who is a non-Jew. So it is the word ethnos, it means nations. So the same word Jesus used when he gave the Great Commission to make disciples of the nations. So Paul is saying here, the nations share the same promise as Israel. We are heirs together with Israel through adoption. So this verse is speaking about our inheritance in Christ. Now let me ask you a question here. Do adopted kids have the same rights as biological kids? Absolutely. In fact Canadian lawyer Lynn Butler writes these words in an article on the internet. When an adoptive parent passes away an adopted child has exactly the same legal status as a biological child born to that parent. When the will makes a gift to my children, adopted children will be treated the same as biological children when it comes to inheriting. Every province and territory in Canada has legislation in place that creates that right. So when a child is adopted, they're not second class, but they have the same rights as biological children. So the nations have been adopted and they are now co-heirs with Israel sharing the same heavenly inheritance through Christ. This has always been God's plan. Secondly, our text in verse 6 tells us that together we are members of one body. When we place our faith in Jesus, Jews and Gentiles become part of His body of which Christ is the head. So the fact that the nations are part of this body of Christ along with Israel, it speaks not just of equality, but also integration. For there is only one body, the body of Christ. We don't have separate sections in this body for whites, blacks, aboriginals, Asians, Latin Americans. We don't have the Baptists in one row and the Pentecostals on the other. There is only one body, the body of Christ, that comprises of all of us from various backgrounds who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And lastly, Verse six tells us we are sharers together in the promise in Christ. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus and this is made available to all believers. No believer is excluded from the promises of Jesus based on their ethnicity. So to summarize all of this, God's eternal plan involves racial harmony. The mystery of the gospel is the nations are co-heirs with Israel through adoption. All races become members of one body in Christ and share in the same promises of God. And Paul is telling us in this passage this great mystery was not made known to generations in the past. So when you read your Old Testament, you can see parts of this mystery. In the very promise that was made to Abraham that through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. The Psalms have this uh, repeated refrain, let the nations be glad, let the whole earth rejoice. Even though this truth is presented in the Old Testament, The generations past did not know how this is going to be accomplished, how God was going to fulfill this plan to bless all the nations. And Paul gives us the answer, how? The first part of verse six says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. So this mystery of God which was to redeem worshippers from every single people group he created is accomplished through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel simply means good news. This is good news because it addresses the most serious human problem ever. Now if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to pay attention to these words now. God is is holy, and we are not. We all are guilty of our sins. As a result, we are separated from God, and we deserve God's judgment. We are also alienated from each other, and that is the reason there is strife and killings, divisions, and relational conflicts in our world. The good news of the gospel is Jesus lived a life of perfect righteousness, a life of perfect obedience to God. And he offered himself as a spotless sacrifice on our behalf to satisfy the justice and righteousness of God. And by placing our faith in Jesus, God addresses our problem of alienation. The good news of Jesus is not for just one people group in this world, but for every people group in this world. This offer is made universal. For through Jesus, we who are far off are brought near to God, and we are brought near to each other. The cross of Jesus Christ serves as a bridge to remove all forms of alienation and brings peace with God and peace with others. So this is the mystery of the gospel. And Paul tells us that he has been made a steward, a trustee of this mystery, that the Gentiles, the nations, are included in the covenantal community of God's people. Now look at uh, verses 7 to 9 of our text. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Now Paul is saying that this mystery is no longer a secret the unsearchable, boundless riches of Christ. This message that God's love has no borders is to be communicated universally. And this is so different from the mystery cults that prevailed in Ephesus during Paul's time. For they too claimed that they had divine revelation. And these secrets were made known only to those who were initiated into these secret societies. So the secret was a distinct privilege of an elite few and was closely guarded. But Paul, as the administrator of the mystery of God, is not calling this to be an exclusive message for a select few. In fact, he tells the exact opposite. Paul is saying, This message is such good news that we have to take it to the nations. Make this plain. Help everyone understand the glorious truth of the riches that are available in Jesus Christ. Paul's calling and our calling is to proclaim this unsearchable, unfathomable riches of Christ to the whole world. Now we come to the key verse in our text. This is what Paul is highlighting in Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verses 10 and 11. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God's eternal plan is to create a new humanity, a new society, a new community called the church that will include all ethnicities of people. The church will be the new creation of God that will demonstrate His kingdom ideals. And through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known. Now the word translated manifold is an interesting word. It's used Only once in the New Testament, just in this place, the word literally means many-colored. Interestingly, the Greek translation of the Old Testament uses this very word to refer to Joseph's coat of many-colors. So the manifold wisdom of God is speaking of God's glorious plan of redemption. Because when Jesus died, when his body was beaten to a pulp, when he was nailed to the cross, when his blood was shed, it was to redeem people of all colors from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language. And it is through this ransomed community of people who come from all backgrounds, God will demonstrate his manifold multicolored wisdom. Now here's the question. To who is this multicolored wisdom demonstrated to? Now you'll be surprised by the answer. Are you ready for this? Look at verses 10 and 11. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So who are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? They are angelic beings. They comprise of both good and and fallen angels, demons, and satanic forces. So God wants to reveal his manifold wisdom to the angelic beings. So the gospel is not just about you. It's not just God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. This has eternal and cosmic ramifications. This is huge because the the scope and the implications are wide, much more than a personal individualistic salvation that we picture. For we, the church, the community of all believers all through history, we demonstrate God's wisdom. We reflect the infinite wisdom and the glory of God. So what God has done in us, in redeeming us, saving us, cleansing us, and filling us with his spirit will reflect God's glory and reverberate his praise all through eternity. And the good angels see God's work in your life, and my life, the greatness of God's salvation, and they worship and glorify God. And I saw this passage in the Bible where what I'm talking about is exactly being played out. I look at Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 12. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loved voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Grace and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever amen now this is breathtaking for John gives us this heavenly scene this future reality this great grand finale and one day all believers all through history the church the bride of Christ will stand in the presence of the living God Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and we all will be wearing white robes because our sins are washed away, and we will worship the triune God, ascribing to him all the praise. We will all cry out in one accord, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamp. And did you catch this? As the redeemed community of God's people worship God for his salvation, look at its effect on the angels. All the angels who are standing around the throne fell face down and they worship God because they can witness the manifold wisdom of God demonstrated through the church. The extent God would go to save people who rebelled against him, who were so hard-hearted, so wayward, and rather than punishing us, God would extend grace and give us life eternal and undeserving favor. When the angels see this, they worship God saying, Praise and glory, wisdom and thanks, honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Diversity is not the end. It is a means to a greater end. It results in the eternal praise of our God. And let me tell you right now, heaven is going to be very diverse. So if you have a problem with diversity, you're going to have a hard time in heaven. Now here's the question, if this is the future, if this is the reality that we are looking forward to, that heaven is multi-ethnic, why can't we replicate it now? Didn't Jesus ask us to pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Do you understand this? When believers from diverse backgrounds, ethnicities, ages, worship together in one place, are part of one local church like this, when we love and serve one another, we are living out this future vision and bringing heaven on earth. Let me add here, God is showing his manifold wisdom to not only the good angels, But in the context of the book of Ephesians, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms are actually the evil forces of darkness who warfare against the purposes of God. So God is going to demonstrate his multicolored wisdom to them as well. So it is a reference here to Satan and his demonic forces of fallen angels who want to divide humanity and conquer us who brought alienation to the human race satan who delights in racial rift and strife within the human race satan but this vision that we saw in revelation chapter 7 of heaven populated with worshipers from every people group gathered in the presence of god is a sign That Satan has been comprehensively defeated. His plans have failed. God's purposes have prevailed. God is victorious and Satan and his forces have forever been conquered. And this is what I love about a multi-ethnic church. For when we break barriers, when we remove the walls, when we form groups that are multi-ethnic, when we learn from one another in humility, when we treat one another with grace and kindness, we are demonstrating to the forces of darkness the victory of Jesus and the power of his gospel. So when a multi-ethnic local church gathers, The satanic forces of darkness tremble for we are pushing back the forces of darkness and the influence of the enemy for when they see us worshiping together as diverse people from various backgrounds, they are reminded of that future seen in Revelation 7 and their own demise. God's manifold, multicolored wisdom is demonstrated through the church, through us, for eternity. And this magnificent scene is not just a witness to angelic forces, but what a witness it is to the world around us. That is why Jesus prayed on the night before his crucifixion in John chapter 17 for the unity of the church. He could have prayed for anything, on our behalf, he could have interceded for anything. But what was foremost on the mind of Jesus right before his crucifixion was the church's unity because it is through that the world will come to know who he is. So when people who are different from each other come together for no other earthly reason than their love for God and love for one another, it gets the attention of the world. Now, if you were to ask the Apostle Paul, how do we know your gospel is true? What is the proof or evidence for the gospel that you preach? Paul would point us to the local church in his time and say, look here, here's the evidence. Jews and Gentiles who once were enemies, who could not stand each other, who despised and hated one another, are living together in peace, harmony, loving and serving one another, and worshipping together as one body. Now, could we say something like that today? If someone were to ask us, how do we know that the gospel is true? Could we point to the church and say, This is the proof of the gospel. What is the evidence of the truth of the gospel? Look at Senna Church, the various people streaming here on the weekend. Look at our community groups, how diverse they are. We are so different in so many ways, different in ethnicity, different in age, different in economic standards. But what defines us is not our differences, but what we have in common. It is Jesus, for we are united in our faith. Someone said, as Christians, what we have in common isn't what we were born with, but what we were born again into. What a testimony to the gospel's power to unite us into one body. I tell you, it is easy to move towards people who are like us. It is natural to gravitate to people who resemble us. But the church is not a natural entity. It is a supernatural entity created by the Holy Spirit. Let's show that to the world around us. Let's issue this compelling invitation to the nations that live in our city to come to know Jesus and be part of this multicolored family of worshipers called Santa Church. I'm going to ask all of us to stand as we come to an end. I want us to take a moment to reflect on what you heard. And allow these words to sink into your heart. The cosmic implications of what I talked about. Just pause for a moment and uh, listen to the still small voice of God. And after that, I will close this in prayer. Lord, even as I stand here and look at the people who are standing here, I see the multicolored wisdom of God demonstrated right here in our midst. For each one of us, we were far from you, far from one another, and yet you bridged that alienation. You brought us closer to you, and you made us one body in Christ. For that, we give you all the praise. And we pray, O God, that we will be able to live out this unity and set an example for the world around us. It is for a definite purpose that you have turned us into a multi-ethnic church so we can be best witnesses to a multi-ethnic city. So we pray for the sake of the mission of the gospel that as we serve together, and join in mission together as one body, that Jesus will be exalted in our midst, that the world around us will see the power and the attractiveness of the gospel, that you are the only Savior who deserves all the glory, honor, and praise. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is our heart's cry today. So help us, God, we pray, to take this message to our heart that truly we will be affirming our diversity and at the same time reminding ourselves that we are one body in Christ. Even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening.